And the word of God reads as follows. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn from you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of the Lord stands forever. This uh, past week, our uh, youngest daughter, Presley, um, had a birthday. She turned uh, four, four years old. And um, many of you might not know, but when we first uh, started and planted East Point Church in 2008, Allison was then pregnant with Presley. And I was just reminded of God's faithfulness as I studied Philippians this week because the first book, as we were conducting a Bible study with a vision and with a desire to plant East Point Church, the first book that we went through was the book of Philippians. And so the book of Philippians holds a a dear place in my heart as I'm reminded of how we, as a church, were solidified in the gospel. And just to see how God has been faithful to us through these four years. Um, God has done at East Point Church is far beyond what we were thinking as we were going through this book. But it is just a testament, just a reminder that it is God who built his church and not us. So we are thankful for that. So we're going to pray. And then we are going to dive right in. Father, we do, we do thank you, Lord. For we who were once your enemies have, are now seated at your table. That is an amazing thing to comprehend. We had no desire to turn to you. Father John tells us that we loved the darkness and hated the light. Yet in your great mercy, you loved us. You loved us in Christ Jesus, adopting us into your glorious and wonderful family, Lord, and bestowing upon us blessings and benefits far beyond what we even deserve. We deserved your wrath. We deserve punishment. Oh, Lord, but you gave us grace, grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, love upon love. You gave us Christ for that, Lord. Oh, Father, with with so much more that we can say, all that comes to our hearts and to our mind is thank you. Thank you. We ask for your help now this morning as we would go to your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive Christ. That we would see wonders anew and afresh from your word this morning. We need your help to do it, Lord. We can't see them in our natural eyes. 
So we pray this morning for spiritual eyes, for spiritual understanding. Holy Spirit, come. Come and make the word effectual in our hearts, not just in our hearts, but even in our lives. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. We come to the book of Philippians um, and look at the church at Philippi. You cannot help but be reminded of how this church got started. We know how the church of Philippi uh, began because Luke records for us the salvation of some of its earliest members in Acts chapter 16. It's in Acts chapter 16 where we see God building his church through the proclamation of the gospel. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and of course Luke, who is recording this account for us, they enter the city of Philippi, seeking to fulfill the great commission that God has given his church to take the gospel into all the world, making disciples and baptizing those of them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul and Silas are seeking to do. When they were led to this city, if you would go back and read Acts chapter 15, you will see that they were led to this city by Holy Spirit. This was a divine appointment. And as they enter this city, there are some women who are holding a prayer meeting. And Paul and the others come upon this this prayer meeting, and they began to sit down and talk with the women there. And naturally, the conversation, the conversation leads to the gospel. Paul can't have a conversation without getting to the gospel. And, and he begins to expound on the glories of Calvary, the glories that we have just been seeing about. And then we are introduced to Lydia. Lydia was a, a woman who, who had some type of means. The Bible tells us that she was a businesswoman, successful businesswoman, probably had a lot of influence. And as she is there at that prayer meeting, as Paul is unpacking the, the glories and the wonderful truths of the gospel to her, the Bible tells us in Acts 16 that God opened up her heart so that she might receive the gospel. And Lydia is baptized. And, and it's believed that the church at Philippi was started in Lydia's home. But not only do we meet Lydia in Acts chapter 16, but we we meet another gentleman. Another gentleman whose heart was open to the gospel, and that is the Philippian jailer. We meet the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. Many of you are familiar with that story? After they leave Lydia, Paul and Silas and the others and Timothy, they are going and proclaiming the gospel, and there is a slave girl who is following them. And mocking them. And she is one who has been possessed by a demon. And and Paul and Silas cast out the demon of this, that is in this woman. Well, those who were employing this woman for financial gains, they have a problem with it. And they, they throw Paul and Silas in jail. And after being beaten and and whipped and and put in shackles, Paul and, and, and Silas are in prison. You know the story well. Though they are in prison, they are reminded of their great, awesome, and wonderful God. And they begin singing praises to him. They they are singing hymns and spiritual songs and, and glorifying God. And then all of a sudden, a miraculous power blows open the jail cell so that they could run free. The Philippian jailer was there, and seeing what had happened, knew that his life was over. That if these prisoners were going to escape, that his head was, was going to be on the chopping block. That was the end of him. And Paul assures him, he, he says, just fear not. We're, we're all here. We, 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 haven't, we haven't gone anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And the 
Philippian jailer falls to his knees, his heart blown open by the miraculous power of God. As the Holy Spirit has come and regenerated his heart, he screams out, what must I do to be saved? Paul tells him that he is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saved. And he brings him home to his household. And he and all of his household enter the waters of baptism. And we see here the power of the gospel to establish the first members of the Philippian church. This is a church that Paul planted. But he didn't just plant it. This was a church that Paul loved. As you read this opening greeting, as you read these first 11 verses of Philippians, you can't help but, but, but feel the affection and the, the love and the concern that Paul had for this church. You sense that it is a deep affection that Paul had, more than any of all the other churches that, that Paul had helped to start and helped to plant. It is like the Philippians, like the Philippians His love for them far surpassed any of the other ones. There are reasons for this, for this affections that I hope to draw out this morning. Because I am convinced that the joy that Paul speaks about here, that Paul receives the joy that he receives from the Philippian church, from the church at Philippi, that is directly related to a spiritual truth a spiritual truth that we too often take for granted, namely our union with Christ. Paul opens up his letter here to the Philippians in typical Pauline fashion. He mentions the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He announces himself uh, that he is writing the letter. He also includes Timothy. And and because this is typical fashion, this is the normal way he opens the letter, uh, our tendency might be to quickly breeze through it, to skip over it, and to to really get to the meat of the letter. Brothers and sisters, we, if we miss what Paul communicates here at the outset of this letter, you miss the whole point of the letter. There is in this first verse, in the first verse of Philippians chapter 1, Paul makes a statement about the Philippians that is so jam-packed with truth, that is so filled that we can spend the rest of the morning, the afternoon, and the evening unpacking that truth. Now, we're not going to do that today, but we are going to unpack this truth a little bit. The first thing you will notice is that Paul greets these Philippian Christians. He he greets them as saints. Saints. He calls them saints. Now, this is a term that we tend to often in our culture, in our society, associate with perhaps the Catholic Church, where they make people saints. Or... We associate the the terminology saint with with somebody who we think has just got a good heart. And they're really good and they do good deeds. And we say, oh, that is is a saint of a person. The the saint that Paul mentions here, his, his definition of saint far supersedes the definition that we're thinking of in our mind. Paul's designation here for the Philippian church means holy. In other words, what what Paul is saying is to the holy ones at Philippi. Now, I hope you are thinking, wait a second, holy? Really, Paul? Are these people holy? Can you really call them holy? Yes, Paul had a deep love and affection for this Philippian church, and and they were a successful church. They were a healthy church. But if you would read the rest of the letter, and I hope you will, you will understand that the Philippians were not without issues. They were not without sin. And so you look at this designation and you say, holy? 
Paul, really? Are they, how can you call them holy? Well, it is the next statement that is, that is more shocking than, and the one reality that we too often forget. It is the forgetting of this truth that causes tension and strife among us. It is the only reason why Paul can call the Philippians holy. It is because they are in Christ. They are in Christ to the saints at Philippi who are in Christ Jesus. When the gospel blew open Lydia's heart, when it blew open the heart of the Philippian jailer, when it blew open the hearts of all of the members there at the church of Philippi, Here was the spiritual transaction that took place. God, through faith in Christ, was uniting them to Christ. It's what, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is what 2 Corinthians says, 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. They have been united to Christ. Therefore, they are holy. Positionally in Christ, they are holy. Not because of anything that they've done. Because as we just sung, my life is hid in Christ on high. They are holy. Brothers and sisters, this is the same for you. If you are in Christ this morning, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you have been united to him. And therefore, I can call you saints. That this message is coming to the saints at East Point Church. Don't ever forget that. That we are saints, not in and of ourselves, but because we have been united to Christ. And Christ is holy. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is a truth that we too often neglect, that we too often forget, but union with Christ is, I was trying to think of a word that would do it justice. I mean, colossal, monumental, huge, whatever you want to call it, union with Christ is huge. Lane Tipton says this, he says, there are no benefits of the gospel apart from union with Christ. John Murray says this, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. There is no truth, therefore, more suited to impart confidence and strength, comfort and joy in the Lord than the one of union with Christ. Oh, it's huge. The Bible in referencing the benefits that come to the believer, all of the benefits, the blessings that we read about in Scripture that come to the, to the believer, they're all rooted, they all emanate, they all flow from our union with Christ. There are several examples of it. We are adopted in Christ. That's what we learned last week, right? Ephesians 1 tells us, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, who in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are adopted in Christ, but not just adopted. We are justified in Christ, declared righteous in in Christ. Galatians 2 and 15 and verse 16 says this. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Our justification comes because 
we are in union with Christ. But not only that, we are, we are free from guilt in Christ. In Christ, we are free from guilt. There is therefore, we quote it all the time, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus. There's no more guilt for those in Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are free from sin, Romans 6, 10, and 11. For in, for the death, um, he died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, all of these benefits come to us. Because of our union with Christ, we can go on and on and on. The New Testament is full of these blessings of, that stem from and have their root and their foundation in the fact that we have been united to Christ. And so here is, here is the exhortation. When we are reading our Bibles, when we are going through the scriptures, I would encourage you and I would behoove you to, as you are reading and you come across that phrase, in Christ, pause. Pause. And just meditate and contemplate and think upon what is being communicated here. What are the blessings and the benefits that are coming to me because I am in Christ Jesus? All of them find their, all of them, them find their root in Christ. And Paul, Paul here greets the saints with this. This is how he greets them. He greets them with this truth both to encourage them both to encourage them and to set the tone for his following commendation. Because he's about to give thanks. He's about to honor them. And so he's setting the tone, lest they get puffed up, thinking that their health, thinking that their growth has come by a result of their hands. Paul goes on to commend them and thank them for living out the implications of the fact that they are united with Christ. Notice what he recognizes first. Paul commends them for their partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul, who is writing to them while he is in prison. The apostle Paul, who planted the church, the one who is going around preaching the gospel to all the nations. This Paul calls the Philippian Christians, partners in the gospel. In my early 20s, I had the privilege of working for a company, and there were three of us who were part of that company. And this company had some high clientele, and oftentimes I would uh, go along with my boss, who wrote my paychecks and everything, and who owned the company. I would go along with him to these client visits. And oftentimes, he would introduce me to his clients. And when he would introduce me, he would say, this is Philip, who works with me. That always stuck out to me. He didn't say, this is Philip, who works for me, which would have been right. He signed my paycheck. He owned the company. This was, this was his company. I was his employee. He didn't say, this is Philip who works for me. He says, this is Philip who works with me. It gave me a sense of that we were in this together, that this was a partnership. And here is Paul saying to the, the Philippian church that they are in partnership together. 
that they are partners. But this is not just any partnership. This is not just any partnership. They are not, they are not in a club together. They, they, they don't, they're not together. This isn't about their various affinities. And, and by affinities, I mean they both like to, to play golf or they all, both, they all have the same hairstyle, color. This isn't about affinities. This is not why they are together. This is not why they are partners. They're not partners because uh, they are of the same socioeconomic status. This is a deep-rooted partnership. It is, it is the Greek word koinonia. This is a divine fellowship rooted, rooted deeply in Christ. Do you, do you see only those who are united with Christ understand what it is to be in fellowship with one another? This is what Paul is getting across to the Ephesians in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 2 when he's talking about the, the Jews and the Gentiles and that they have been reconciled in Christ, not only to God, but to one another. What Paul is seeking to communicate is that those of us who are in Christ, our partnership, our fellowship, our un, un, unity goes deeper than cultural ties. It goes deeper than affinity. It goes deeper than familial ties. This partnership, this, 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 this group, this unity is rooted in Christ. Galatians 3 and 28 says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are united in Christ. We have come in the same way. We are partners in gospel ministry. Brothers and sisters, when you understand that you are united in Christ, all, all of those who are in Christ, those if whom you are part of this community with, those with whom you sit next to, those whom you call brothers and sisters, you are united. You are partners, partners in gospel ministry. If you have taken any of the getting to know the point classes here at East Point Church, you will, you will know that although they are membership classes, we don't, we don't like to refer to them as membership classes. We like to refer to them as partnership classes. Partnership has a, a, a deeper, deeper level. It, it causes us to have a deeper mindset. When we say membership, we think membership has its privileges. We think I, I join so that I can get. But when we understand partnership, when, when you understand that you are joining this ministry and that we are together partners in the ministry, we have a common goal of seeking to glorify and honor God together. We're partners. We are partners in this ministry. But, but what, you say, well, what does that look like? What does that, what does that look like? What, what are we supposed to do? Well, we do what we see Paul and the Philippian church doing, praying for one another. We're to pray for one another, to understand the, each other's needs and, and concerns, and, and, and to pray. Yes, we, we pray for each other, brothers and sisters, but we are to pray for one another because we are partners in this together. We are to encourage one another. Hebrews 10 and 24, right? Doesn't it talk about stirring one another up to, towards love and good deeds and we are to encourage one another to press on, to push forward? We are to give and support one another. In 2 Corinthians and 8, Paul talks about the generous giving of the Macedonian church. Because they were partners in the ministry. Here is the church at Philippi, even partnering with Paul and giving and helping to support him. Because they recognize that they are partners in ministry. How about using your gifts? 
using your gifts to serve and to edify and to lift up the body. This is what Paul is talking about in Romans 12, that that each one of us were given gifts according to God's grace, according to the measure by which he wanted to dispense them. And he goes on to say that we are to not take those gifts and to sit on them, but to take those gifts and use them. Use them to do what? To edify and to glorify the body, to edify the body. To serve the body, not to glorify yourself, not to to think highly of yourself, but to help the body, to serve the body. This, God, brothers and sisters, we are in, we are partners in gospel ministry. God has reconciled us together. He has reconciled us together so that we might be a gospel witness in the world. This is is a partnership. Not only is our partnership rooted in Christ, but our growth is as well. Our growth, our growth is rooted in Christ. Look at verse Look at what it says in verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What work did God begin in the Philippian church? Uniting them to Christ. Look at Paul does when he, when he is speaking about their growth, their, their sanctification. He, he appeals to the work of God, their union with Christ. He doesn't appeal to their work. He doesn't say, you know, Philippians, you've done a really great job cleaning yourself up. Continue, continue in the work that you've been doing, cleaning yourself up and making yourself ready. That's not what he does. He says, I, I know the work that you've been doing. I have felt your prayers. I have, I have received your support. Your, I've seen your growth in godliness. I have seen it. And I know that it will continue. And that it will be brought to completion because it is God who began the work in you. Brothers and sisters, and what God starts, he always, always finishes it. Brothers and sisters, this wasn't just any work. It was a good work. It was a good work. Your union with Christ cannot be undone. You cannot be separated from this union. Isn't that what Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 8 as he is speaking of the wonderful love of God in Christ Jesus? And he, and he gets to the end and he says, what can separate us from this love? And it's like Paul is screaming and preaching and yelling at the top of his love. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nothing, nor heights, nor depth, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, brothers and sisters, this union is solid. It is rock solid. You are not being separated from Christ. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Paul says, listen, my confidence of your growth, it's not in you. It's in God. It is in God. And then he gives them a tangible a tangible expression of this. He says, he says, you are partakers of grace with me. What grace? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been abundantly flowing to Paul, first to unite them all to Christ, but then as he is going about preaching the gospel through his imprisonment, through his confirmation and defense of the gospel. This is all grace that is, that is coming to Paul. And he says of the Philippians that they are partakers of that grace with him. Paul says in essence, Philippians, Philippians, I have seen evidences of grace in your life. It resembles and even is in direct correlation to the grace that I have received 
from Christ. And so my confidence of him completing it, of him finishing it, is because God dispenses this grace. Only God. Oh, if we can get what Paul is doing here as he encourages the saints at Philippi. We are a microwave society. We are a microwave society. Our cell phones and the internet have made us and turned us into people who lack patience. You guys know, um, have you heard the story that Amazon, if you are a user of Amazon, they are working on a service where you can get same-day delivery. Same day. Like, so you order it online, and it shows up in your house that afternoon. That's amazing. That's, that's quick. That's speedy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like, I like things to be done quickly and with, with speed and, and precision. I mean, I, I like things done quickly. I, I mean, when I go to Kroger and to Publix, I use the self-checkout line, right, because it's quicker. I don't have to stand in line. I know it. I've mastered it. I'm in there, and I'm out in two seconds, right? So I like speed. I understand it. Speed is not necessarily a bad thing. Looking for quick results is not necessarily a bad thing, except when it comes to our sanctification. We are always in a hurry, but God is not. We are always in a hurry, but God is not. And because we are in a hurry to grow, and we want to see others grow, we're impatient with them because they're not growing as quickly as we want them to grow, we become hard on ourselves, and to our shame, we become hard on others. And you know what we've done? We've forgotten who begun the good work. We forgot who begun the good work, and so we try to fix ourselves, and we try to fix others, and we say, keep trying, keep trying, and we forget grace. We forget that our union is with Christ. Paul doesn't do that. Look at what he does. He encourages them by pointing out evidences of grace and reminding them of who began the work. And that it will be brought to completion. God is not done yet. If we would just get this, brothers and sisters, do you know what a difference this would make in our fellowship? Do you know what a difference this would make in our fellowship? If we were people who were not so quick to point out the sin, not so quick to tear down, not so quick to condemn, but if we were a people who sought to remind each other of the evidences of grace we see in each other's lives. Here is how I see God working in your heart. Oh, sister, I, 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 I remember you last year. And I remember you, I, see you, I saw you struggling with that sin. But do you know what? I am encouraged because this year I see growth in your heart. I know you don't see it, but I see it. God sees it. Oh, you could imagine what this would do to our fellowship where we are pointing out the evidences of grace and using phrases like God's not done with you yet. He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. Brothers and sisters, we're in a hurry, but God's not. He began the work, and our confidence is in him that he will bring it to completion. That's the promise that we have here. Paul roots their partnership in Christ. He roots their growth in Christ. And then he tells the Philippians of a prayer that he has for them. He's got a prayer for them. His prayer is that their love would grow and grow. 
He is not saying, what he's not saying is that the Philippian church did not have any love. He's not saying that their fellowship, that their, that their, that their, that their love was, was missing, that it was devoid, that they didn't have any love at all. He says he prays that their love would grow, that it would abound, that it would grow to the point of overflowing, that it would grow to the point of overflowing, that it would, that it would never stop. Brothers and sisters, you can't love enough. You can't love enough. Love never ends. Love never fails. Alexander Strach in his book, Love or Die, says this. Love is not static, but dynamic. Love is to be increasing, not diminishing. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's great treatise on love. Love never ends. One would say, well, I look at the Philippian church and it seems like they have loved Paul enough. Doesn't it seem like that? They, they pray for him constantly. They've given him money to support Paul. They even sent, if you go on and read the rest of the book, they sent Epaphroditus to Paul to encourage him and to give him a gift. You would say, man, they're loving him. Why is Paul talking about them increasing in love? Haven't they loved on Paul enough? Sister, no. No, we are to love. Paul, Paul says that that, 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 that that isn't enough, that that needs to continue, that their love needs to continue, and not just to him, but it is to overflow so that it en- encompasses others. He says the same thing to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Why is this Paul's prayer? Why does he pray this for them? Because love is typically the first thing that goes. It's typically the first thing that begins to slack off as we get comfortable with one another. We start being not loving as we should. We say we love one another. As soon as your sin begins to rub up against my sin, as soon as you're not growing as fast as I thought you should grow, as soon as you offend me, love is nowhere to be found. It's nowhere to be found. Paul's prayer and our prayer for one another should be that our love would abound more and more, overflow and overflow. But did you notice? This is not just a willy-nilly type of love, right? He links it with something. He links our love with something. Paul says we love, um, that, that our love should be filled with knowledge and discernment. It should grow in knowledge and discernment. We love best. We love best when it is when it is filled, when our love is filled with knowledge and discernment. That is why Paul prays with those things in mind. If the Philippians, if the Philippians were gonna love to the degree that God desired them to love to, right? Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. If they were going to love with that type of love, they needed knowledge and discernment. You'll see that the, the fellowship of the Philippian church was growing. There were... There were those who were going to come among them. We read about it in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, whom Paul calls dogs, that were going to seek to, 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 to preach Christ out of selfish gain, to please their own stomachs for financial gain, seeking to draw the, the fellowship away. Their love was going to be tested. There were, there were going to be, there are currently members within their fellowship who are in disagreement with each other. 
Iodia and Syntyche were at disagreement, and Paul urges them to unite and to, to come together in the gospel and to agree in Christ. This, they, the, the Philippian church was in desperate need of understanding and knowing what it was to love and how to love because their love was going to be tested. And so this, this prayer that Paul prays for them is divinely appointed because they needed to understand what it was to love with knowledge and all discernment. You know, to love rightly is to know how to love. Sinclair Ferguson, quoting on this text, he says this, we need to be able to recognize need and see what can be done in response to it. Brothers and sisters, sometimes what we think is love is often hurtful. And what, is, what some people would consider hurtful is actually loving. That's why we pray for both. Knowledge and discernment. And so we are called to love one another. And then the prayer is also for our love, our love to grow in knowledge and discernment. But here's the thing. Loving with wisdom and discernment doesn't grow if you're in isolation. Growing with love and discernment and wisdom and knowledge and discernment, it doesn't come if you are in isolation. You have to be in the fellowship. Your love for one another doesn't grow if you are not spending time with one another. You can't expect it to grow if you're at home. You must be among the saints, making yourself available so that you can know and discern what the needs of the body are and how you can love them. In order to discern how to love one another, you have to get to know one another. And so that requires that we are sharing, that we are talking, that we are seeing and understanding, that we are partners together in this gospel ministry, that we are serving with one another, that we are praying with one another, we're serving. You know when you do that, you get to find out what people, how people live and how they are, how they are to be loved rightly. So the encouragement here is that we are to love one another, but in order to love one another and to do it with knowledge and discernment, we need to be spending time with This love isn't towards, this is not the end. It's not, it's not that we love as an end in itself. Paul has our sanctification in mind, our, our holiness, the purpose for which we have been created, namely to glorify God. And so what, what Paul does at the end of this, of this uh, in verse 11, what he does is he roots it back in Christ. He roots it back to our union with Christ. Look at verse 10 and 11. He says this. So that you may approve what is excellent. We, we love with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith. That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He roots it back in Christ. Brothers and sisters. All. The reason any of this, any of this is attainable is because we are in union with Christ. We don't have true partnership. We don't have true growth. We don't have true love for one another unless we are first united with Christ. They flow they emanate from our union with Christ, the work of God, uniting us, grafting us in to Christ. 
That's where they flow from. Without those, without, without union with Christ, you don't get true partnership. You don't get true growth. You don't love with knowledge and discernment. And so the question before us and before you this morning is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Christ stands with open arms inviting you in. Come, come to me, all you are, who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. And so I appeal to you this morning to come to Christ. Bow your knee, place your faith in Christ. And you will be united to him and receive all of the wonderful benefits that come with it. Your adoption, your justification. Not only that, you are united to us, to the body, to the, to the church. We are in partnership together. Your growth is rooted there. And your love of one another is rooted there as well. For those of us, those of you who are in Christ, here's the exhortation. Here's the challenge. May we live in light of this truth and be a church that sees ourselves as partners, as partners in gospel ministry. Not membership where we, we think we come to just receive, but we are in this together, using our gifts, serving one another. We find our confidence in God for our growth. And that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Father, this is my prayer for us. So that we may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Through the praise. This is why we do it to the praise and to the glory of God.